hey, I am so proud of you for prioritizing God and making time to connect with him today. You might be wondering why I'm holding a blanket. This is not just any blanket. This is a blankie. This belongs to my oldest, Jack. Here's a picture of me holding Jack when he was first born. And you might have a blankie like this from your childhood, or if you're a parent, maybe your kids still have some blankies. I know, here's the case for me with this one. If I smell it, uh, it just takes me right back to when Jack was first born. And it takes me right back to all those emotions as a first-time dad, where it's just like, I would do anything for this child. As a father, just I love this child so much, I would protect them. And especially when you have that first child, there's just this wave of new emotions. And every time I smell Jack's blankie, it takes me right back there. It reminds me of moments like this when Mel and I were so fatigued from having a newborn and being awake all through the night, but he would just sleep right there on our chest. And he was so safe, he was so secure, and, and it's the ideal healthy childhood when a child bonds with their father and their mother, and they know that all their needs are met. And God wants you to experience this in your relationship with him. Even when the world outside is going crazy, he wants you to be able to sleep peacefully on his chest. But here's the thing, if you're anything like me, you don't always feel like this, do you? I mean, you might think because I'm a pastor that I don't have all the normal emotions or I'm super spiritual, but I've got to tell you, I have plenty of days just like you where I don't feel like that at all. In fact, if I'm honest, there's days when it feels like it's just me against the world. And especially right now with everything that's going on, there's days where it feels like, you know, I'm providing for other people, I'm protecting them, but who's looking out for me? Who's looking out for me? And I wonder if maybe you relate to this emotion. This is not a bad question. This is not some, you know, selfish thing. This is a normal, normal human emotion. In the middle of serving and taking care of others, you might be wondering, you know, who's looking out for me? There's people who seem to be looking out for certain businesses or firefighters or other groups, but who's looking out for me? We all have this emotion and the reality when we feel this way, especially as parents and as providers, and when we just don't know where our own needs are gonna be met is that if we're honest, we feel like children who are fatherless. We feel like children who, who don't have a good mom and dad to embrace them and feed them. And we worry because we don't feel provided for. And here's the question we're wrestling with today. If you could feel protected, if you could feel provided for, if you could feel like that baby laying on the chest of their parent, if you could feel that every day of your life, including today, if you could feel that, no matter what's going on, no matter the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the viruses, the economic collapses, if you could feel that, would you wanna know how? Well, of course you would, and of course I do. And so what we do here every week is we look into the word of God to answer questions like this and say, God, you care about our emotions. You want us to experience this. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. And so what does Jesus say about this question. You know, it's so interesting that Jesus was homeless for most of his ministry years. Did you know that? 
There's a verse where Jesus says, you know, foxes have dens, but the son of man, that's the title he used for himself, has no place to lay his head. In fact, every one of us watching, even if you're a child, I can almost guarantee you own more earthly possessions than Jesus of Nazareth owned. You are more sure of where your meals are gonna come from tomorrow than Jesus of Nazareth was. And yet this man who didn't own anything and who didn't really have much to call his own somehow spoke words that gave confidence to thousands of people. Somehow spoke promises and ideas that have shaped world leaders to the point that now one out of three people in the world say it's the words of Jesus that get me through cancer. It's the words of Jesus that got me through divorce or bankruptcy. How were his words so powerful? And I wanna answer that for you today. We're gonna look at the longest recorded sermon of Jesus, but we're just gonna focus on two words. And I wanna mention to you, if you don't yet have a copy of God's word, we're reading the Sermon on the Mount and you can text us. We'll send you a Bible with a bookmark right in the passage that we're studying this week and in the upcoming weeks in this sermon. Now, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And you'll be thankful to hear his model prayer is very short and it answers this question of how can we be confident in a world that's shaking? How can we know that our needs are met when we feel like we're all alone? Jesus' simple prayer starts this way. Pray like this, he says, our Father in heaven. Now, this might sound normal to us, especially if you were raised in certain religious traditions. They talk about, you know, pray the Our Father, pray the Lord's Prayer. But to Jesus' initial audience, this was a revolutionary idea. Uh, people at this time, they didn't think about God as their father. They thought about him as this angry being who was against them. By the way, Jesus referred to himself as the son of God and almost every time he did, people would get angry. They'd say, who are you to say you're the son of God? Jesus liked this name for himself, son, so much that he called himself son 70 times. And here's the point. As he starts to teach us how to pray, he says, the two most important words about your identity is your father. Your father defines who you are. Your father defines your value. Your father defines where you will spend eternity. And so Jesus says every day, start your day by saying, I'm not defined by my bank account. I'm not defined by my physical health. I'm not defined by my looks or what other people say about me. I'm not even defined by my feelings. I'm defined by my good father. And my father, by the way, has the power to help me. He's in heaven, that is, he sits at the controls of the universe. And where you have a need, he has the ability to meet that need. Not only does he have the ability, but because he's holy, he's good. That is, he will only ever do what is right and what is good towards you. Now, I wanna skip to the end of Jesus' prayer because it's a short prayer, but it is such a contrast. At the end of the prayer, Jesus says this, lead us not into temptation or don't let us give in to temptation. Jesus wants us to live knowing that every day we're making spiritual choices that affect the people around us and affect our relationship to God. And then he says, pray this when you're talking to your father in heaven, rescue us from the evil one. 
In other words, Jesus' daily prayer, it begins with the God of heaven, but it ends with the serpent of hell. Jesus is teaching us that every day there is a great war being waged for our minds, for our hearts, for our families, for our choices. So let's look back at this very practical question for your life. If you could feel protected, if you could feel provided for today, if you could know no matter what happens with my health or the world around me, I know I'll be protected. I know I'll be provided for. If you could do that, would you wanna know how? And let's see Jesus answer to this question. It's very simple. If almighty God is actually my good father, then it changes everything. I don't know in your life right now, what situation has you most anxious? What thing about the uncertainty in the future or a loved one you're praying for or your own health or your business? Every one of those situations, God cares about it. And here's the thing, I've learned this, I've experienced this, Jesus modeled this. And my heart for you today is I'm just praying for you. Oh, please, please open your heart to this idea that if you will see God as your good father, it will change the way you see that problem. It may or may not immediately change the problem, but it'll change the way you see the problem. Jesus was able to live knowing, hey, I don't have a house, and yet he had more peace than people who owned palaces and castles. Jesus was able to say, I I don't know where my food's gonna come from tomorrow, but he had more peace. How? Because he just had this constant relationship with his father in heaven that he knew his father was good. He knew his father would provide. And and I, I can't tell you enough if you'll just open your heart right now and say, God, where I'm anxious, where I'm afraid, I want to experience you as a good father. That's such a loaded word, right? Because none of us had perfect fathers. None of us had perfect dads. Some of us grew up up without a dad at all or with a a dad who seemed absent, who seemed like he didn't care at all. When I think of God being a good father, I realize that in my relationship with him, it's been a process to really see him that way and to allow that lens to recolor and redirect how I see every area of my life. Let me show you one of my favorite visuals about God as a good father. It's a famous picture of President John F. Kennedy. And I love it that the photographer captured this picture that underneath his desk in the Oval Office, here's this secret door for his son, John F. Kennedy Jr. And I don't know if you've been to Washington DC or if you visited the White House, I've never been in the Oval Office. I've been at some events when I was a journalist where the president of the United States was at the event. And here's what I can tell you. Security is unbelievably strict. I mean, for, for miles around the building where the president goes, the Secret Service has bomb dogs who are sniffing things out. There are metal detectors. There's Secret Service guards who are armed. Not anyone can go into the Oval Office. There are very few people who can. And even if you're the president of another country or a prime minister, you've got to go through metal detectors, you've got to be searched, et cetera, et cetera, and then you finally get in there. But look at the contrast. Little John F. Kennedy Jr. didn't have to go through any metal detectors, didn't have to pass any background checks with the FBI. He just runs right in with his toys. 
And I love this picture because he has no idea the weight of the things on his dad's desk. His dad's dealing with things like the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Cold War with the USSR. And this little guy, he doesn't know the difference. All he knows is that he's safe, he's welcome, he's wanted. This is how your father in heaven wants you in his presence. And he wants you to have the confidence to know that because of your faith in Jesus, you can come into his presence in this way. He puts it like this in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, you and I, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place, the very office of God that runs the universe. Why is it that you and me can do that? It's not because we paid money or we earned our salvation. It's because of the blood of Jesus. It's because you've placed your faith in Jesus. And if you haven't yet done that, you can do that today to just say, God, I know I've sinned and done things wrong. I believe in Jesus. Be my savior. And then look at this. The moment you do that, your identity gets changed. You get adopted into the family of God and you learn your confidence grows throughout life to realize my father's good. And so let us go right into his presence, right into the presence of God. With sincere hearts, open your heart to him. And I love this, fully trusting him. It's so hard to fully trust God, isn't it? I mean, if you're watching today and you're thinking, yeah, John, I I like that, but it's so hard to trust God when I don't know how I'm gonna pay the mortgage or I don't know when I'm gonna get my job back or when my business can reopen. I mean, I get it, I'm with you. It's so hard to fully trust God. It's so hard to do, but this verse gives us the idea that as we grow up in Christ, we can learn to trust him more and more. Here's the reality. You have a good father and your good father in heaven, he wants to meet all your needs. Even if you're watching this and you say, but I don't have an earthly father. He's been taken away from me. Guess what? Scripture tells us that almighty God, your father in heaven is a father to the fatherless where you lack anything on earth, your heavenly father, he's good. He will meet your needs. You're not in heaven yet, but as you make your way there, he will provide for you. If God really is a good father, you know what it means? It means that you can bring him every single one of your problems. It means that you never have to be embarrassed or ashamed of your past because it's been washed away by Jesus, all your mistakes. It means you can know that almighty God, he's looking out for you every day. It means you can know that you're gonna live in the house of God forever. Now let's ask an honest question. Why don't we experience this, right? If this is what God describes for us, why don't we experience that? Why in a world that seems so crazy, don't we feel like we're just sitting at his feet and he's above us and everything's okay? I mean. If you're like me, there's a lot of days that you're not experiencing this. Why don't we experience it? Why do we feel instead locked out of the office or shamed? Well, it could be that you don't yet know Christ. And if you don't, you can call out to him today. Or it could be that you've believed in Christ, but you don't yet know your position in Christ. You don't yet realize you have permission into God's office. And that every time you have a problem or a need, he wants you to run into his office. He wants you to bring it to him. You know, I think most of us 
still see God almost as a bad guy or someone who's against us, someone who sends down judgment because he's angry with us. Maybe you remember the classic Christmas movie, Home Alone. I love this character in Home Alone. It's the neighbor. And little Kevin, you know, the main character in Home Alone, the movie starts with him looking out the window and he's telling his cousin that his neighbor is the South Bend shovel slayer. And that his neighbor's this mean, angry guy who kills people with his snow shovel. And Kevin is just convinced because of the stories he's been told and because of the scraping of the shovel on the cement and the sounds and the frighteningness, he, he, he just is convinced that this is a bad guy. Well, as the story goes on and Kevin's at home alone and the actual bad guys show up and they're trying to hurt him, he learns that the South Bend shovel slayer is actually a good neighbor. And when the bad guys get Kevin, they actually hang him up on this hook. It's the South Bend shovel slayer who comes in and he knocks out the bad guys and he rescues Kevin. And Kevin realizes that this guy who he thought was evil is actually good. You know, before Satan, before sin, the original humans, Adam and Eve, knew that God was only good. And that's a world that had no death, no cancer, no COVID-19, no viruses, no economic collapses. And then Satan slithered into human history and with his forked tongue, he whispered into Eve's ear this lie that most of us still believe to some extent, you can't trust God. You've got to take matters into your own hand. He might act like he's good, he might act like he's looking out for you, but you need to take care of yourself. No one's actually looking out for you, Eve. And as Satan convinces Eve to betray God and to say, God, I don't want things your way after all, Eve and Adam then unleash all the evil and sin and death and destruction. And Satan's primary strategy in every generation is to whisper into your ear and to whisper into my ear and say, God's not actually good. You can't actually trust him. And so I love it that Jesus came to earth as God in a human body to show us, here's what it looks like to be a human being who perfectly trusts that God is good. Think about it, even when Jesus is on the cross dying for the sins of the world, he models this and he says, Father, Forgive these people, they don't know what they're doing. Every time Jesus was in crisis, he called out to his father. When he's sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, deciding to go to the cross and his best friends all fall asleep, what does he say? Father, he calls out to his father, he finds his identity in his father, he finds his security in his father, you can do the same. And I know it's a process, it doesn't happen overnight, but here's the thing, when you suspect that God can't be trusted, with your greatest problems. When you suspect that God can't be trusted with your greatest fears, remind yourself of this, that your enemy, there's an enemy of your soul. Jesus talks about Satan and hell more than he talked about heaven. Jesus says there's an enemy of your soul. He wants to lie to you like he lied to Eve. He wants you to mistrust God. Your enemy wants you to think that God's against you, especially in the areas of hurt, and need 
in the pain, in the suffering, where there's heartache and heartbreak, God is actually for you. And he proved it by dying on the cross. And he's reaching out to you today in this moment to say, I'm for you. You know, the enemy of your soul knows this secret. He knows that if you will believe that God is good, and if you will call out to God, then the enemy has no power over you. The only power he has is to convince you to not call out to your father. So don't let him win. Choose to call out to your father today. Choose to say, God, I I struggle to believe that you're good, but I'm choosing to believe it. Help me believe it. Lord, I've seen you as untrustworthy, but I wanna see you as trustworthy. Would you help me see you as you actually are? You know, learning to trust the father, it's a process. It's a process. I have been many times where I've gone through health struggles and I've had to learn at a deeper level that even when I'm hurting physically, or I'm in a hospital bed, or the future's uncertain, I can still trust him. It doesn't mean you don't have normal emotions, but you you call out to him. I wonder today, where do you find it hard to believe that God is good? And and right now, would would you take that thing and say, God, even in this thing, I wanna believe that you're good. I wanna experience you as good. God, I'm your child, I'm calling out to you. Will you help me to experience that you're good? You know, in the year 2015, my wife Mel and I began the process of adopting our youngest child, Evie. We started this in the year 2015, and Evie was about a week old when we started. And it took about three years. So Evie was born in Haiti. She spent the first almost three years of her life at an orphanage there. And for those three years, if you were to visit Evie in that orphanage, her life looked very different than it looks now. And it looked like she was fatherless. It looked like she didn't have a dad. She did. She just couldn't see me yet. This is a picture after Mel and I, after about three years of waiting, got to go and pick Evie up and hug her and tell her that she had a family that would never leave her that she would have food for the rest of her life, that she would be taken care of, a totally different kind of life than what she was experiencing. You know, for those three years, she didn't know she had a good father who was gonna do all these things for her. But that didn't mean that she didn't have a good father. And I have to believe there's someone watching right now and for 30 years, You haven't believed that there's a good father in heaven who's looking out for you because you just haven't seen him yet. You have a father who wants to meet your needs and get this, through Jesus, through what he did on the cross, you can be adopted into the very family of God. You have a one-on-one relationship, a personal relationship where you talk to him every day where you see him meet your needs and you learn to trust him, you can experience his comfort when you suffer on earth, just like Jesus suffered on earth. And you can live knowing that no matter what happens here on earth, his house, his mansion is your final destination. Let me show you a picture of Evie and me recently. Evie and I have a great bond and her mother and her have a great bond and her brothers and sisters. I mean, she's just part of our family now. Our family wouldn't be our family without her. But here's the thing. As Mel and I were waiting those first three years before we were able to bring Evie home, some of the adoption specialists, 
They were preparing us that sometimes children from orphanages don't bond right away with their families. There's this thing called reactive attachment disorder, and it's when a child has been neglected and abandoned year after year after year, their ability to bond, they actually don't really grow that ability. And so sometimes a child comes home from an orphanage and they're not able to really connect with their new family. Now, by God's grace, that hasn't been the case for Evie. It's been an amazing, amazing journey, but we were prepared that she might struggle to bond. And I remember as those adoption specialists were describing this attachment disorder to us, I remember thinking, boy, this really describes my relationship to my heavenly father, that he is good, he is trustworthy, he will meet all my needs, but because of the difficulty I've been through in life, sometimes I struggle to really connect with him. Sometimes I'm, I'm closed off because I'm just afraid. And there's been times that I didn't see him there. And, and so I want to encourage you that it's a process. When a child has attachment disorder, it takes years and years for that bond to form. And even in a, a normal household setting where everyone's healthy, bonds take years and years to form. Give yourself patience as you learn to see God as a good father who you can trust. And I want to just encourage you right now, where you feel like you can't trust him, call out to him today, say, Father, I want to experience you as good in this area. Listen to this promise from Romans 8. It says, as a follower of Jesus, you've not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave, or some translations say a slave to fear. You're no longer a slave to fear. Instead, you've received the very spirit of God. When you called out to Jesus for the salvation of your soul, the very spirit of God came to live inside you, and he adopted you as his own child. Do you know today that you're a daughter of the king? Do you know today that you're a son of the king? This is your identity. This changes everything. Every problem in the world you look at, if you look at it through the lens that you are an heir with Christ, that you belong to the very family of God, then yes, you might be on a temporary humanitarian mission to a very difficult place, but this world is not the end for you. And these struggles will not define you. God has a plan for you to be in his house. And while you're on earth doing his work, he's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you just as he protected his own son, because now you are his own son. You are his own daughter. Where do you need to call out to him today? Where do you need to believe in him as your good father today? Well, let's look back at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And he's going to pick up on this theme of God being a father we can trust. And I love it. Jesus knew as he's talking that we struggle to trust him. Look at what he says. He says, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you instead give them a dangerous snake? Of course not, Jesus says. And then he says this, so if you sinful people, I love Jesus' boldness, right? He's like, I love you. You can be a child of God. By the way, you're also sinful, right? I just love the way Jesus talked. You sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, right? Every one of us watching who are a parent, we know 
I'm not a perfect dad. There's times I lose my temper. There's times I get frustrated. I'm not a perfect parent, but I'd never give a poisonous snake to my kids when they ask for some meat. And Jesus says, if that's how good you are, then how much more will your good father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Have you asked him for what you need? Maybe you say, well, I've asked him and he hasn't yet sent the check. Then ask him for the peace until it arrives. Ask him for the freedom from anxiety. Ask him not only for your tangible needs, do ask him for those, but ask him for your emotional needs. Ask him for the needs of your loved ones. He's a good father. He wants to meet your needs. You can call out to him today. You know, when I think of Evie and my other kids, and I think of when they wake up in the morning, they're all elementary age now. None of them wake up and race into me and mom and say, but dad, how are we going to pay the mortgage this month? You know, none of them race into our bedroom and say, um, dad, I know there's food in the pantry right now, but once that food runs out, where are you going to get more food? They, they don't ask those questions because they're children. And they just have this confidence that as long as mom and dad are around, our needs are going to be met. This is why Jesus once said, actually, uh, to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like a little child. What he's talking about is this humble dependence that says, God, I might be the grown-up who other people are looking to, but I'm going to live knowing that there's always more food in your pantry. There's always more resources in your bank account. That there's health for me in an eternal life, even if I lose my health in this life. And so, Father, would you help me see that you're good? Would you help me trust you? Would you help me believe in you? Your father loves you. He wants the very, very best for you. Everything you need is found in your relationship to your good father through Jesus. And this is why he taught you to pray, our father. Start every day that way. My father in heaven, here's what I need today. Well, I got to close by telling you a true story about my other two kiddos, Jack and Zoe. Here's a picture of them right around the time this story happened. We had just moved from Arizona to California, and if you've ever had a big cross-country move, you might remember before you get the beds set up and before the boxes are unpacked, you might be sleeping on sleeping bags. And there was this night where I was sleeping on a big kind of queen-sized air mattress, and it was me and Jack and Zoe. And I was right in the middle of the two of them. And so we're laying there and, you know, doing some cuddling and our bedtime stories and prayers. And before long, Zoe fell asleep. And then Jack says, Dad, I really got to use the potty. Can I get up and go to the bathroom? I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for it. So he gets up, he, you know, when on an air mattress when someone's climbing out, it's like a waterbed or something, everything moves. And he climbs out, goes to the bathroom, and I can kind of hear him flick the light switches on, and then I hear him come back, and, you know, he was shorter at the time, and so getting up onto the air mattress was quite the ordeal for him. And as he's climbing back up, he asks me this sweet question. He says, Dad, did you save my spot? <laughs> of course, buddy. I'll always save you a spot next to me. I remember as I said that, I'll always save you a spot next to me. I was literally thinking of him when he's 30 years old, when he's 40 years old, and meaning that for the rest of your life, buddy, 
I will save you a spot. For the rest of your life, I will be here for you. Wherever you go, wherever I go, I'll always save a spot for you. And it must have been because of the conversation we'd been having in our prayers about heaven and stuff. He then asked me this, Daddy, even when you go to heaven before me someday, you'll save a spot for me there too, won't you? I remember saying, yes, buddy, I'll save you a spot in heaven if I get there before you. Now, here's what God brought me to tell you today. He's a good father. He cares about what you're going through today. And he's saving a spot for you. Let me pray for you right now. Father, Lord, when we think of dads, fatherhood, and our needs, it's a deep wound in our hearts. Because, Lord, none of us had perfect dads, and some of us had abusive or terrible or absent dads. And, Lord, we just want to invite you this week, as we live through another week of a global crisis, we invite you to reach your healing hands into our hearts. Would you heal our father wound? Lord, we ask you to lift our chins and our eyes up to see that you're a good father, that we can trust you. And Lord, you're patient with us. We've got so many areas where we're still afraid to trust you. But Lord, today we just bring you at least one of those areas and we say, God, would you help me to believe that you're good in this? Would you help me to believe that you're good with this? Oh, Lord, continue to minister to everyone watching this today and this week that we would experience you as our good, good father. We love you, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.